you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, and, and we've been going through this series actually for a fairly lengthy period of time now, and it really is a, is a book that really speaks uh, back then and speaks to us now, because what God wants us to do is obviously to come to know Him, uh, but as we experience Him, He wants us to understand that not only do we gain a quantity of life, uh, the promises that we will have eternal life, but also that He will uh, give us that which is called a quality of life or abundant life. But so often we hear about it or read about it, but we don't, we don't actually what? We don't actually experience it. And so that was true for us today, and it's true back then. Well, how do we get in on this thing that, that God has set us free to experience? There's so many things in our world and in our life that will cause that not to happen, and what do we do when that happens? I was reading even this past week about um, a family in Canada and. It was interesting. I think they're called the Dion family. And on May 28th, 1932, they had something rather wild happen uh, to their family. Um, the wife was pregnant and gave birth not to one child, not to two children, not three, four, but five. They, she had a quintuplets, and they were all little ladies. They were all women. Uh, they were all girls. And their names were Yvonne, Annette, Cecilia, Emilie, and um, Emily, and Marie. And it was interesting, they, what happened for them is they, their family went from five children to ten immediately. And it was such a, it was such a phenomena because many times uh, there will be multiple births within the womb, but often those children don't survive. And these all five survived, and they became kind of a publicity uh, attraction. And what happened in Canada is they, they actually went to court and took all five children from them. And the headline of, of the article I read was this, the, the um, extortion, the, the messing up of five raised children in a baby zoo. And, and we've talked about that in the last couple of weeks as, as we think about how, uh, how people experience life. And sometimes, whether it's a collie we talked about last week, or if you got our email blast this week, or an elephant that's tied to a simple rope when they're young, and, and they think that rope will hold them even when they're huge, is that people might begin filled with bondage or enslavement to something physical or in their environment. And the real testimony or the, or the real test is what happens when they realize that that rope is, is not which that can hold them in place, or that cage that that collie was in, as we looked at last week, and now is set free to a backyard for all kinds of things to do. And, and what happens, they've been trained over a period of time, and, and they're still restricted in their behavior. And, and really, the sad story of these five, and they put them in a, they, they felt because of the, the size of now their family of 10, that they didn't think that family could raise them in a healthy environment. So they put them in a very sanitary environment, and they had basically the government uh, raise them for a period of time. And they put them on display, and they had all kinds of commercials. They decided that they would raise a, a trust for, for, for them, and they, would, they actually became, well, they had resources that were in, in the millions of dollars when they reached adult age. But the, but the sad story about this, and they got back to the home later on when they were basically teenagers, but when they were set free, these who had all kinds of resources and and fame for a period of time. Their lives never experienced the happiness and joy you would think they might have been able to do because they had all the resources they needed. 
Uh, two of them went into convents and did not experience happiness there. Uh, three of them got married and none of the marriages lasted. Some bore children and the children were involved in getting more of the money that they should have received and so they won a court case and then they ran away with the money. And as you think about that, what, what a sobering story to hear about those who were in bondage and eventually set free, but they weren't able to enjoy their freedom because they didn't know how to use it. And what we want to talk this morning, really only three verses, um, because we have communion and usually have a long sermon on communion Sunday and I never get to finish it, so I only got three verses, but there's a lot of things we can say about it, is what God really wants us to understand is it was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And that's what happens in people's lives, whether it's in the social arena or the spiritual arena, is that people can be set free, but they go back to an experience of bondage. And so Paul has to attack that because not only are people not enjoying their freedom, people are teaching them and leading them down a path in which will directly cause them not to experience the freedom that Christ can give them. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, and I need to turn to it as well. We're going to look at three verses this morning. And really what we're going to do, we're going to look at freedom, the two do's and the two don'ts about how to, how to really experience your freedom. Um, but in Galatians chapter 5, uh, right in the middle of that chapter, there are three verses. I'll read the passage, and then we'll go back and, and, and look at it this morning. But in it, it really speaks to what is it that God wants us to experience and, and how are we supposed to be involved in that whole process of living out the faith that God has given us. And so in Galatians 5, 13 through 15, he says this, For you, and he's speaking to the people who have experienced the message of Christ and for most of them, they experience the reality of Christ. He says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. And it sounds to me like this is a message that that is so simple that after a while you'd be thinking, don't you have anything else to say? I mean, freedom, you're free, you're free, you're free, you're free. He has to keep saying it because even though they know it's a reality, they're not experiencing it. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And so just even reading the passage, you realize, well, I think academically, they realize, hey, love for free. But he's saying, okay, but what are you doing with that freedom? Are you using it or are you abusing it? And it doesn't take a story that was begun in 1932 on May 28th where a family who had five now had ten children and all the things that went on with them, that people who maybe are raised in that environment, when now they've reached that age that they are set free to do whatever they want, they don't know how to use that freedom. But this story is repeated all over and over and over again in homes and in people's lives. When, when they get a little freedom, what do they do with it? And that, that's, what, that's what Paul speaks in to the believers of that day. But I do want to make this very, hopefully, simple statement to begin with. As, as we think about freedom, again, we need to remind ourselves, well, what is this freedom? You know, wh- why do I have freedom? What is it? And then how am I supposed to use it? And we're going to look at the how primarily in the message. But, but what is this freedom? And I guess to, 
to make this message by the, the letter. I'll get, this, these few points that are not in your outline are given to you by the letter P. What does he set us free from? First of all, the Bible says that when, when we're in Christ, we're set free from the penalty of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve death. That's the penalty for our sin. So when we become a child of God, we are free from the penalty of sin. But, but also, not only are we set free from the penalty of sin, the Bible says we're also set free from the power of sin. That's the Romans 6.11 passage. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin. In other words, you don't have to do what you always do. You're set free from that. We know in the future we're going to be set free from the presence of sin. We're going to be set free from the pain of sin. No matter how hard life is now, no matter what you're struggling with, there is coming a time with all the things that, that we struggle with now will be gone and we'll be experiencing the fullness of joy. And even this, as, as people struggle with who they are and what, what they're supposed to be all about, we're also set free from purposeless living. Or to put another P there, God has a plan for our life. We're, we're not just out there aimlessly living. God, God wants to use our lives in, in ways that make a difference and, and are significant. And, and so as you think about it, all these are things God has set us free from. That we're not going to experience the penalty of sin, the power of the sin, or we don't have to experience the power of sin. We're looking forward. They're going to be away from the presence of sin. We don't have to live a purposeless life. God has a plan for our life. And, and, and even the presence of sin. There is a place we can look forward to that the environment around of us has been totally changed. So that's the freedom. And so we're, we're motivated because of that, out of a love for God that all that he has done and will do in our lives, why wouldn't we want to live for him? He's, his, his plan is always best. But how are we supposed to do that? Well, number one, we need to realize we, we don't do it through our own strengths or resources. The, the Bible says in the New Testament at least over 200 times, some who, who are a little bit more obsessive-compulsive have counted. I think it's 216 times. The Bible says that you're in Christ. Christ is in you, and you're in Christ. So we do this because Christ lives within us. Or to put it another way, it's all about living out the Christian life through the Spirit of God who dwells among our, our, uh, our lives and who we are. But as we think about that, God has some specific directions. Well, if you are walking by the Spirit, if you are living by the Spirit, if you're recognizing who you are in Christ, what should you do with the freedom that you have? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Here, the two do's and the two don'ts of freedom. Let's begin with a don't. A don't found in the first part of Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says this, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. And so I said, okay, you are set free, but don't, ab don't abuse it. Use it. You're going you're gonna to abuse it if somehow you decide not to live by the Spirit who lives within you, but, but your own flesh. Now, in the Bible, the word flesh is used in a variety of different ways. I mean, just poke the person next to you. That's all right. You can poke him in church. That's, you know, if you don't like him, poke him really hard. If you want to pinch him, just pinch him. All right. You know, obviously, you know, if we're living, we have an earth suit on, right? You know, none of us are little spirits or, you know, we just had Halloween and, you know, none of us are here as ghosts. You know, we, you know, we have flesh. We have, a, we have an earth suit on us. There's a flesh among us that, that makes us a physical being. 
And he's not using it in this sense, but he's saying what the flesh is, is your old self. I put it in your outline this way, the flesh. It's the self-centered desires and habits of the old self or the old life. It's BC, before you were a Christian, you might have been raised in a great home. Uh, you might have had some people who guide you to go down a path that were, were healthy and, and, uh, and ways in which you could be a responsible citizen. But you recognize pretty soon, if you are now a, a follower of Jesus, no matter how hard you try, no matter how well you follow the rules of those who raised you, you, you never could do it perfectly, Right? There was something within you that drove you to be selfish and to be self-centered. So those desires that said, like, I, I want what I want. I don't want to do what I feel like doing. It doesn't really matter what, what other people think or what, what, if there is a God, what he thinks. I'm going to do my thing. And, and what are you saying here? When you, are, when you come to know Christ, he says, I'm no longer going to give you this list of rules, though if we memorize that verse, bear one another's burdens, therefore fulfill the law of Christ. We're going to talk about that in the future. doesn't mean there aren't things that God has identified as the things he wants us to do or not do. But what he's saying here, this is not an external list of things that will cause you to draw close to me because all something is supposed to come from within. And he says, what's happening to you, now that you're set free and say, hey, I don't have that thing marked on my wall or on my refrigerator or in this book that says, okay, you got to do this and you can't do that. There's another passage, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And so he said, look, I'm set free. I can do whatever I want. And so what people were doing, they were exchanging what used to be their bondage, which was being legalistic, and now they were changing their bondage into what you could call license. They could say, I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. And what are you saying? How's it? What's that done for you? Has that, has that made your life better when you just do whatever you feel like doing? And do you like to be around people who, who live that way as well? They, they do whatever they feel like doing? And what you do, you're surrounded by people who are basically what? Selfish. I mean, who wants to live around people who are selfish all the time? Well, when people are selfish all the time, what they are doing, they're living according to the flesh. And, and so they're basically... Three ways to live life. I didn't put the third one in here. You can live it legalistically or with legalism, which is pridefully following rules uh, to please God or, or be better than others. And I, I worked on this definition. I don't know if it's the best definition ever. But, but you know, some people, they, they're getting it wrong and they think, well, I can, if I just do my best, God will be pleased with me. Well, it's always good to do your best, but you need to realize no matter how good your best is, it's what? It's not good enough. In fact, someone has already quoted that verse. It says, even your best is like filthy rags before God. And so your best will not please God. What pleases God is your love for God. And then some people, some people you know, they're, they're, they're really good because they, they like being around other people and just kind of pridefully think, I'm a lot better than you are. Well, that's not going to you know, win friends and influence people either. Do you like to around people who always think they're better than you? Anybody want to raise their hand on that? Okay. So, so you see, look, that's what legalism, you got this external list of rules of do's and don'ts, and you're doing it either falsely thinking you can please God that way, or second house, you just want to be better than anybody else. The other way, the other extreme is this, license, which is selfishly living for yourself and not for God and others. 
That's basically it. Why do you do what you do? The reason you do what you do is because you want to do it. You feel like it. That's what, what you, it's, all about, it's all about you. I, I think I've told you recently, if I ever want to make... My wife never gets mad. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. What, she never gets angry. And so you, you have to do things to try to make her angry. Okay? So um, I don't always walk by the Spirit. I just want to let you know. Okay? So, so you know, what can get her angry is that you know, whenever I do something nice to her, you know, or we're, we're trying to decide something, and we're going back and forth, well, really, it's, it's all about you, Alice. It's all about you. you know? and, and so you know, that just irritates her because you know, she doesn't like to think that way. But, and she does. I do. But she doesn't like to think that way. But when you're around people, it's all about them. You know, it, it's... Well, where are you going to go with it? Someone put it this way. Okay, the, third, the, the, the only third stream is the stream of saying, I'm going to walk out of love for God, empowered by Spirit, to do whatever He leads me to do to please Him. You're living a life out of, out of gratitude for God and all that He is. You experience His grace. You realize how much He has loved you, and you just want to throw that love right back to Him in just, in just complete devotion to the one who has set you free. Some have explained life this way. that As you think about trying to know God or live for God, there, there are three streams. Two of them are, are huge streams. You could even call rivers, and one is a, is a very narrow stream. And, and, and this is how it's described by, by some. And I think I want to read it because I'll probably mess it up. They say this. One stream is, it, it looks really good. It's clean and it's clear. And, and that might be the person who, is, who really legalistically or religiously, some have said, you know, they, they follow a, a strict code. And, 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 and many times they do pretty well in that code. But what happens is below that stream or river of water that's clear and clean, you know, if people do the right things, it looks pretty good on the outside, doesn't it? But there's a deep current within. And when you plunge yourself into that stream or that river, the undercurrent will suck you down and take literally the life out of you. And that's what happens with people who who really pursue God legalistically or religiously by just identifying do's and don'ts, and that's all it is. It's just following a strict code, and it it has nothing to do with relationship. You know, some people are a lot more religious than they ever need to be because that's all they have. It looks good on the outside, but there's that current on the below the surface that will suck the life out of people. The other, the other stream, the other river is, is a river that, that again, it, it, looks, it looks clear and it looks clean. But even more so, you could describe it this way, it's, it's very restful and easy. Been to those uh, water parks where they, you know, you got, the, you got the rides where, you know, if you get on it, they, they'll almost take your, your, your shorts off because they go down so fast, you know, those kind of things. And then you got the, what, what do they call that, where the, the easy... The, the lazy river, right? You get on those cushions, you can be on there all day. Get all burnt, but you can get on there all day. There's, you're never going to fall off. It's just easy. And you think, oh, that's what I'm going to do. That seems pretty easy. I don't have to look at rules of do's and don'ts. I'll just do whatever I like to do, right? And, and so you're just kind of floating down, and it looks, it looks good on the outside. It's, this, it's, e- it's the easy, lazy river, right? But unbeknownst to everybody on that river, there's pollutants in it. It's a diseased water. 
then it will infect you to the point where you become so self-centered, it will suck you down and take the life out of you. And that's, uh, if you don't want to call that religious, you'd call that rebellious, because what you're going to do is it's all about me. It's all about what I want. And I want to be people who, who agree with that. It's all about you. And so he said, look, there, there's two extremes on that. And he said, when you do that, what's happening is that you are, you are abusing your freedom. He spent so much about don't follow the law. Now he said, don't, don't follow your own desires. That's the flesh. Don't feel like you have a license to do whatever you want. You, you have now have a license to be all that God wants you to be. And that's that, that's that, that narrow path or that, that, that stream that people miss. And it's the stream that God has for them. And when you look at it clearly, it's, it's that which is best. And there's, there's no undercurrent and there, there's no pollutants within the water. It's that's what God has for you. So number one is, is you think about the don't. If you're going to uh, experience the freedom that God has for you, uh, use it, don't abuse it. And it all begins with understanding, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But then there's a do. At that point, you, know, you can get the idea, well, I'm just going to go with the flow. You know, just kind of let, you know, let go and let God. And, 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 and there's a place for that. You're letting go of, of your own resources to live the Christian life, but I don't know about you. Sometimes when I let go and let God, what happens? I just get lazy. Anybody, anybody want to relate to that? If I just let go and let God, I'm not doing anything. And so that, that's really the law of Christ. That's really the direction that we find in the New Testament, that, that God has some direct plans for us. And so right after he says, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, and there's some interesting words to that. The word opportunity, it, it, it's a military term, which has the idea of your, your base of operation. You know, it's your control center. What is your control center? Is your control center is just do whatever you feel like doing. Something's wrong in your Christian life. It's all about you. That should not be the control center. It should be all about Jesus. But then he goes on in verse 14, says this, for the whole law is fulfilled, no, excuse me, in verse, latter part of verse 13, he says, but through love serve one another. And so as we think about it, we need to be proactive. It's, if it's not all about us, it's got to be all about somebody else, right? And, and when we serve others, well, the reason we serve God is because we're doing it because we're serving, I mean, why we serve others because we're serving him. And, and, and so that's the application of, of how God wants us to live. I want to read a couple passages to us quickly. Look at Luke chapter 22. In Luke 22, you know, it's Jesus speaking, so it's pretty important to listen. He says this in, in Luke 22, beginning with verse 24. And there arose a dispute among them, this is disciples, as to which of them is regarded to be the greatest. And if he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who what? Serves. So as we think about what's really important is not a part about who is serving me, but who am I serving? And if that worked for Jesus, I think that could work for us as well. 
And isn't that what he said in Mark 10.45? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so you, you, you could be thinking even right now, okay, who, who in my life am I expecting more from rather than expecting to give to? And, and if you're like me at all, we, we sometimes put the balance sheet out, right? We, we, we see how well things are being evened out. And we say, look, I'm sure giving a lot more in this relation than I'm what? Getting. And after a while, we, you know, we, you know, we're, we're going to jump into that. And there's, you know, there's all kind of books talking about boundaries and all those kind of things. But you know, some of those can be helpful. But, but if you get really radical, it's all about, okay, are you willing to serve without recognizing how much you're getting served? And you've probably heard that phrase, I don't, I don't mind being, you know, serving people, but I, I don't want people to think that's my job. I, I don't mind serving, but I don't want to be treated like a servant, where they expect what I do, that it's now my job. And, that, and that's what happened when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, which is kind of the intro to one of the, the, the communion experiences. That wasn't Jesus' job, was it? That was the lowest of a slave. But that there was the need. No one grabbed the towel but Jesus. And he washed their feet. Wouldn't that be a great description of, of our lives individually and collectively of the church? That, that's a church who really serves others. Even when they go the extra mile and, and some people abuse our service toward them, that they keep on serving. Because that's God's desire for us. And if you look back at times, haven't some of the greatest joys of your life been when you've done something for someone else? And maybe you didn't get a whole lot of credit, but you just knew that's what God wanted you to do. And you felt, you felt awesome because you felt, this is, this is what I'm made for, to serve others. So as we think about freedom, we can either use it or we can abuse it. And so he says abusing it is, is living according to the flesh, just do whatever you want. You know, live legalistically or with license. Just live according to the flesh. Uh, so we get the idea, okay, I need to live by being in Christ and by the Spirit, but okay, what is that going to look like? I'm going to serve one another. I'm looking for what I can do to be a blessing in somebody else's life. But then he makes a radical statement, and we'll try to get this done in a few minutes. He, he, he then says, oh, I want to something, say something really radical to you. Uh, back to Galatians. Uh, because this whole law thing gets confusing. Okay, so all, is the law in the Old Testament bad? Is it, you know, all those lists of things that he gave? Well, well no, but you need to understand that you, you don't have to memorize all the commandments, the 613, because I'm going to give you an easier memory verse. He says this, uh, verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and then he goes on and gives more words, but he says, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's the one word there? The word is what? Love. And, and, and it's a pretty amazing statement. He says, you're going to fulfill the whole law by love. And, and that's the point I want to try to make, at least in your outline, to do is do fulfill the whole law by love. And this was always God's plan. Let me just read a couple passages, one in Leviticus, and we could have gone through a lot. There'll be more in your life group this week. But in Leviticus which is one of those difficult books to wade through a little bit, but there's some gems in there as well. In Leviticus 19.18, he says this. Amazing statement. 
You shall not take vengeance, uh, in other words, sometimes when we, we get on other peoples because what they've done to us, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. So this morning, even as you're prepared for communion, if, if there's some people in your, your life right now that you're harboring bitterness toward, that you're angry about, you might be angry with what they've done, but you're angry with them and, and really want them to, to experience harm. He goes on and says this, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So in the very beginning, that was always his goal for us, is that when people do us harm, that we, we and love really is seeking that which is best for somebody. But look at, it again, the whole idea of how encompassing love is. Look at Romans 13. In Romans 13, Paul puts it, again, very profoundly and plainly in terms of how powerful love is. He says in Romans 13, 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall, love, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So again, you have the same idea, the very simple message, uh, freedom, use it or abuse it. Well, how do you use it? You serve one another, but how do you serve one another? Um, we've all had sometimes people do something for us, but the attitude in which they did it for us, we just assume they hadn't done it, right? Okay, so look at when you really come alongside someone or, or help someone out, uh, do it with, with full love in your heart. And, and really, whether it's how you do something or what you do, love is what it's all about. And, and think about every, every, every one of the top 10, okay, it, it's all about about doing that which is best for somebody. If you were to steal something for someone, were you really demonstrating love? If you were to take someone's life, obviously, were you really loving that person? If you're coveting something to the degree you, you not only want what they have, but you've got to get what they have, are you loving them? If you're telling a lie to someone at that moment, are you loving them? And, and that's where Jesus' statement about do others, treat others like you want them to treat you. Do you want other people to lie to you? Do you want other people to take things that you have? Do you want other people to cover what you have and then, and then do so to the point where it ruins that relationship? So every commandment in the Scripture could be put under the umbrella of love, and you, you would know that you're fully following God's plan for your life and for my life and our life when everything we do is motivated by God's love. I love that passage in 2 Corinthians, for the, the love of Christ controls us or compels us or constrains us or pushes us out, that we recognize that he who died for all, us died for all, that they who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. And so Paul, as he's trying to summarize his, his just plea for them to understand they're set free, but use it, don't abuse it. He, he gives them a don't. Don't live according to the flesh. That's not going to work. Don't be self-centered. And then he says, okay, actively serve one another. Be concrete about that. And, and then recognize it. it. Really, all the law is summarized by just living a life of love. But he knows that they're just like us today. And I've got to move pretty quickly now. And uh, he, he, then, he then says something that's almost shocking. 
Because I think we all have the perception is that, that, that church is always the place where people are always nice, or, or at least it should be, right? <laughs> but it isn't always nice. And, and so he, he says something to them, and sometimes people want to be like the New Testament church, but which church do you want to be like? In Galatians chapter 5, that, the last verse there, it's amazing how long it takes to go through three verses. Okay, he says this, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Now, why would he say that to them? He says, but if you bite and devour one another. The reason he said that is because they were doing what? Biting and devouring one another. And where was that happening? It was in the church. And sometimes people give up on church because they had a bad experience with church. And I say, well, did you not read the New Testament? That's supposed to happen. I mean, that happens in church. People devour one another. There's so many pastors we can turn to, but I've already taken all my time, is that this is going to happen, so we need to recognize that we who don't want to be part of the problem, a part of the solution, I, I put it this way, don't hurt people just because you can't. Don't hurt people. But at that moment, well, I want to hurt them because they've hurt me, or they've hurt, I want to hurt them because they hurt somebody else. He said, don't, don't be Christian cannibals. Don't just, don't just devour people. And, and the reason we can do it is because we can do it. Romans 14 says, like, if something, if something offends somebody, just do it in front of them, all right? I won't go into that passage. But I, I want to, if you want to have an action plan, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Here's how we can work on not being those kind of people. In verse 29, it says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And again, the whole idea there, it's got to be a spirit thing because in our flesh we'll want to do this. And then he goes on, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And so he said, look at, get rid of that stuff in your life that just destroys relationships. And then he says, hey, then be on the positive part. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Why, do, why should we forgive other people? Because... God has forgiven us. Why should we be kind to people? Because God has been kind to us. Why should our heart be tenderized a little bit more to be tender to other people? Because that's how God has been to us. And when we're that, then we use our freedom for that which is good. We can use our freedom to hurt people or to help people, right? And so Paul, as he, as he just pleads with them, look at, use it or abuse it. You abuse it when you live according to the flesh. You use it when you hurt others because you can but you use it when you realize you're set free to serve, you're set free to love. And so the simple question for us this morning, are you using it or are you abusing it? Let's pray together. Father, as we in a moment get opportunity to remember why we would even think about living these kind of lives, is because Jesus went to the cross. Jesus suffered on our behalf that we could be set free. That we don't have to live according to our own desires, but we can live according to the desires of God, which produces that which is best. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, I just really pray that they just might admit their need and turn from their sin. Believe and trust in Jesus, the Lord God and Savior, the one who died on the cross for them. And then commit their life, surrender their life to him. Father, that's what it's all about, is giving our lives to you, and then you give us everything to have life that's full and meaningful and has a purpose and plan, not to live for ourselves but for others. Fathers, we, as we partake of the table, 
might we remember, why we celebrate what was done, the victory that was won, and might we also confess where we fall short. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.